I'm Ryan Spagnoli of CLNS Media. Joined with me, as always, my good friend, Alex Barth of 98.5 The Sports Hub. Alex, how are we doing? We feeling a little bit better than we were Sunday or, or kind of the same here? A little bit, a little bit of a whirlwind here. Apparent, uh, apologize for being late. We just, we, you know, we got those roster moves literally as we were set to come on air. So we wanted to make sure we, we caught up, uh, you know, pretty much, I know we'll recap the game here, pretty much looking ahead to week two at this point, but yeah, feeling, you know, watching it, uh, watching the game back, feeling a little, I don't want to say better feeling like I have more context. I think that's, that's important. Right. I mean, I think let, let's just start with the moves first, right? I mean, yeah, I think a pretty major move in terms of considering that the circumstances, right? Montgomery battled that injury, the ankle injury um, after the the final preseason game, uh, traveled with the team, obviously played, scored a touchdown, the lone touchdown in Sunday's game. You thought maybe, hey, this, you know, he's over this. This is their, you know, their third down back. Didn't see him a lot. Um, maybe not as much as you'd expect, you well, know, your pass catching so back. I'll tell you this, he, he played more than you think he did. He played 21 snaps, which is really? one less than Damian Harris, seven more than Ramondre Stevenson. He also played seven snaps on special teams. He was the kick returner. He That's played a good a, amount, a which sneaky, is why this is surprising. Sneaky 21 snaps. Yeah, well, honest. yeah, it, it maybe didn't feel like as many, but and that's uh, I have the percentage here in front of me, if you give me one second, 37%. So more than a third of the time he was on the field, Harris was at 39, Stevenson was at 25. He he. I mean, he played a regular role in the running back rotation. And it didn't, right. you know, it wasn't one of those things where he's, I, I never saw him limp off the field or anything like that. Like there was no obvious injury moment. No. And, and that, that was the, that was the strange thing, right. As to why they're, you know, why he's going on IR now. And, and, you know, like you said, little Jordan Humphrey coming up now, it's, you get a two man backfield right now. Right. I mean, you expect JJ Taylor is probably going to be elevated, right? Guys like that, that'll just Would kind of soften so. the blow a little bit. But um, an interesting move uh, to, to start. And not interesting. I guess it's, it's, it's common, but an, an unfortunate move for them because I thought that was a guy that had a good preseason. Somebody you were excited about. Obviously, he scored a touchdown. And, and you know, you, you did see flashes of Ramondre's ability to catch the ball, but now it's he's your pass catching back, or they're just going to kind of mix it in with both these guys. I think that you're, they're going to go to something we saw in the preseason where Stevenson and Harris are both going to catch passes and they're just going to alternate drives. And we saw a little bit of it in that game. That's the most I've ever seen Damian Harris involved in the passing game. And that includes, it's not just like throwing the ball to him, right? That includes pass pro and things like that. I, I think that's going to be the new model here is it's just going to be those two guys back and forth. And maybe JJ Taylor spells them on occasion when needed. Right. Um, so I, I guess that that's the that's the the move we see this week heading into week two. Um, you know Montgomery's now out for six weeks, right? The minimum now is six weeks. He can no, it's it uh, it's four weeks now to return. So he could in theory start practicing. I think next week, right? Because it's three weeks it's, to. They oh, no, changed it's, it's, it from. It's sorry. It's four weeks to start practicing. So he's going to be out through at least week five. Right. So I mean, maybe it's a it's a lingering thing. It's early on in the year. Obviously, an important piece of their offense. Go get healthy. You know, we think they can kind of soften the blow a little bit with these two guys anyway. So um, I guess that's it for the moves this week. As of right now, obviously, we can recap a little bit more. Well, if anything no, I comes mean, there's through. also I, I would say also I mean, Little Jordan Humphrey getting promoted. I think stands out. The Marcus it's, Cannon being brought back. We knew that. I think we'd already talked about that. We did, but, but Little Jordan Humphrey for, getting elevated instead of Taylor. I mean. 
that tells me they were roll for him. It may be on special teams, but they needed a running back. They went with Humphrey instead. That's notable. As well as, you know, which we'll get into at some point in the show, you bring up another wide receiver. Is that, you know, bad news for Kendrick Bourne, somebody that we should see on the field? I think we can we can get into that later in the show, but that's a little head-scratching too, right? You said no, no Taylor. Um, you know, is Pierre Strong going to be active? Is he kind of that third back now? Is he going to get leaped into a role kind of similar to Ramondre Stevenson did last year? That could be the case. Um, and what they're going to go with, and, and Humphrey, like you said, who has special teams experience, somebody that thrived in the preseason, maybe takes over that Montgomery role we saw on Sunday in terms of special teams. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you look like I said before. I think you look at it. Special teams is probably where this makes sense. I don't, based on the reports we're getting today about Kendrick Bourne, which are basically that he's benched now because he missed a, a team meeting about a month ago, which is a bit much. I'm not saying that's justified, but that sounds like why he's benched. Uh, this to me feels like more of a special teams move than anything else. Right. So uh, let's get into the game. Cause I think there's a lot to talk about. Obviously we had, we had talked on the post game show briefly. We kind of went in and out both of us. Um, I guess I'll, I'll pass it over to you first, diving into the film, kind of digesting everything, anything that, that you saw on Sunday, maybe caught your eye or maybe made you feel a little bit more optimistic about them before we kind of pound them and gets the negative. Cause you know, I texted you yesterday and I was disgusted. I was like, this team's, we'll get into it, but your, your initial thoughts. Yeah. So I think the silver lining is there's a couple on the scripted drives, right? The, the first drive of each half, they average 6.3 yards of play. That's pretty good. If you're averaging 6.3 yards of play, you're cooking. The non-scripted drives, they average 2.9 yards of play. You're averaging 2.9 yards of play. You're just not staying on the field. So, yeah, the first drive ended in a turnover. That's unfortunate. Maybe it should have been a hold. Probably should have been a hold. Still would like to see Devontae Parker maybe fight for that ball a bit more. But that, you know, when they were moving the ball, they did move the ball well for a period. Now, why didn't that carry over? Could be a number of things. I just think the communication was better on those drives up front. Some of that could be generally your scripted plays or the plays you feel you're the most comfortable with. So guys kind of know their role a little more. I think the other thing is they ran the ball well on both of those drives. They ran the ball well beyond that. I mean, they were averaging, they finished with 3.5 yards per carry, but it was over five at one point in the third quarter. Like they just kind of stopped right. They struggled to run the ball late. I, they never went to play action off of that though. They only ran two play action plays in the whole game. And they were two of their better offensive plays, but when you're beating a team running the ball, you need to turn that into play action. I mean, that's always been a staple of the Patriots offense, and they just never did that. So I, I, I know we're kind of – I'm sorry, we're trying to do the, the, the positives here, so we can get back into that later. The other thing I think – I mean, the defense – I know, too, it wasn't great. It wasn't a perfect defensive performance. The fourth and seven obviously points. is inexcusable. But the defense allowed 13 points. You get if the defense was their biggest issue in that game, if the way the defense played was their biggest issue in that game, I think we'd feel really good about the way this team looks right now. Uh, the pass rush was there. Uh, I thought Jonathan Jones looked really good on the boundary. Now it was against Tyree Kill, a guy's covered before, so it'll be interesting to see going into next week how they use him. But I thought he looked good. Kyle Duggar looked incredible. So I, there, there is still, I think, things to be optimistic about on the defensive side of the ball. The offense feels like more of a work in progress. What I would say, and this can kind of lead into some of the negative takeaways here, I'm not ready to say the offense isn't talented. I see some people saying, oh, they have no talent. 
They that's not it. This like, is arguably the best skill group they've had since 2018. I would agree Honestly, with that. It, like, that's look, don't get run. me wrong. They don't have enough talent to the point where you can bench Kendrick Bourne. They no. don't. He needs to Especially play. Especially when your offense lacks Right. He's their most dynamic playmaker with the ball in his hands, getting open down the field, all of that. But their shortcoming wasn't talent. It was, you know, Bill Belichick always – we hear him talk about this a lot. And he talked about it last week. The – that he believes the first six games, the first month to six games of the season are essentially preseason games, right? An extension of the preseason, what we've always heard. That game was the embodiment of that statement in that belief. The offense was incredibly vanilla in terms of what they were calling, what they were trying to do. Did you so, have – I think, too, in terms of this game, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I want your thoughts on it because you're yeah. getting into it. I didn't think the play calling, like, was the number one thing that stood out in terms of the issue offensively, so right? It, it wasn't. Was more, it wasn't. It, it was almost like – think about play calling. Do you know like what I'm saying, though? Like, no, no, yeah. So, like, think about play calling like you're ordering off a menu, right? I don't think that they necessarily ordered the wrong thing off the menu. I just think there was nothing good on the menu if that right. makes sense, right? Maybe they, like, and you can't say, oh, well, they have good plays, but they didn't call them. Like, th- the ratio of, like, the plays they ran to, you're going to call most of what's in your playbook in any given game. You're going to call a significant portion of it. To hide an entire portion of your playbook in a regular season game, like, if that's what they did, is just as bad as not having that element in your playbook, right? That's preseason football is what that is. So, I don't even know that we can sit here and say the offense isn't talented enough because they never really got a chance to display whether or not they're talented enough. It was all just so vanilla in terms of the patterns they were running, some of the run calls they had, and then they couldn't even execute up front to block it. Those were the issues. It's not a talent thing. It doesn't feel like a talent thing. They've just got it. You know, I see somebody in the comments. It's a boring team to watch. Yeah, it's a boring offense. It's a vanilla offense. That was a Madden playbook. You hope they kind of take it to the next step and soon, and they don't wait six weeks. They can do more in terms of play calling. They have some very interesting players. Now, Ty Montgomery was one of those players. I, I think losing him, you lose a potential uh, dynamic piece. Excuse me. Yes, thank you. Potential dynamic. But I, you know, Kendrick Bourne's a very fascinating player. You can do a lot of interesting things with him. John U. Smith is a guy who can, you know, attack and the I liked, defense I thought, in multiple ways. I haven't seen Both him playing as well. Backs. I thought he limited what he have three catches he had a couple targets yeah he got open a couple times was, so they didn't throw him yeah the ball. that was more there than you saw last year which i thought was another positive you saw a lot more two tight end sets you saw a lot more of him getting involved i think he was involved more than hunter henry was um you know maybe they went to henry a little bit more he was maybe more involved in the game plan but as for johnu smith it's we hadn't seen that since it, it really ever here i thought he looked um you know, don't look at the box score. Look at what he did in terms of blocking and getting open. They were trying to scheme him up and get the ball in his hands, which I think is is a positive to see because that was something we did not see last year. Right, but they didn't do enough of it. That's kind of the point. Is this this True. team needs to be this team needs to be about scheme touches. The whether first it's, the first drive. What you saw in the right. first drive. Whether it's Janu, whether it's Aglor, whether it's Bourne, whether it's Tyquan Thornton, when he comes back. This is a scheme touch offense. And that, honestly, when you look at uh, uh, Josh McDaniels leaving, Josh McDaniels always struggled with scheme touch guys. He struggled with it in the first game in Vegas. They tried some scheme touch stuff that was a disaster. So 
McDaniels left and they, they bring in a guy like Ty Montgomery. They bring in a guy like Tyquan Thornton. They pump up Johnny Smith and you think, okay, here we go. They're going to really start running with some of the scheme touch stuff now, like they should have been doing the last couple of years. And it just, I don't want to say we didn't see it. There were two or three, maybe four instances. We saw it. I have to go back and count on the actual tape. I just remember thinking it a couple of times, but there needs to be more of that. I think there needs to be more of that. I want to take a quick minute to tell you about bet online. Football is back, and BetOnline is your number one source for all your football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football odds, news, and game matchups, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head over to BetOnline.eg to join and receive your 50%, yes, that's right, 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code CLNS50 to receive your awards. Bet online, where the game starts. And I'm curious, too, uh, to kind of get into the quarterback. I think there's way too much. This, I guess, is a positive. I don't know. You call me Homer, bias, whatever. Um, there's way too much hate. And I know people react on the on the post-game show. I'm sure you saw some of it, too, Alex, with – you know, why, why are you guys talking about Tua? You get the same Tua. You get somebody who's worse than Mac Jones. Like, let's pump the brakes a little bit, right? Everybody talked about him last year being in the best situation for a rookie quarterback. That's why he succeeded. That's why he did so well. Fine. You want to make that point? I, I, I agree with it to a point. However, if you look around the league now, he might be in the worst situation uh, for yeah. a second-year quarterback and an all-important second year, right? I mean, maybe you... Justin Fields may be a little bit worse considering his the playmakers and the line around him. I think Jones's skill group's better, but it, there's an argument to be made. He's in the worst situation. That guy got hit all day, played through an injury. I know he lacked some of that, I guess, a little more oomph on his ball, but I think a lot of that had to do with the injury. Like, cut this kid some slack. He's going through a lot right now, and I know people, you know, it's the NFL. He's been here. There's a lot of moving pieces. I mean, and from the start of this spring, you can't tell me you're surprised this is how he played week one, right? Like, am I, am I, am I wrong here? He's in a bad spot. Yeah, no, it's not. Look, was it, it wasn't the Mac, the best game Max ever played. It certainly wasn't, but a lot of the circumstance, I mean, some of it is things we talked about with him getting sped up and that the, the blind side blitz, right? The, the strip sack, that's a play where like, first of all, like the Dolphins did play that well, where who it was Howard, right? The safety that came up. Comes up really late. There's seven seconds on the play clock. He starts his approach. He's either going to be right there at the snap or they're not going to have enough time to change the play. Like, that's a good play. But what needs to happen on the offensive side of the ball, somebody needs to see that, whether that's – there's really four guys. Between four guys, one of them should see that. Between Mac, Trent Brown, um, who – no, Strange wasn't in the game at that point. It was uh, uh, Ference or – whoever the running back in the game was at that point, or, or no, it was, it was Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry's there in the slot running backs on the other side. One of those four guys needs to see that. And then what you do from that, even if there's not enough time to change the play, like ideally you, you call out a hot audible for the block and somebody picks him up. Like Trent Brown just misses the block there. He doubles to the inside instead. But even if you can't get there, and again, there's seven seconds on the play clock. You can't step back and rewrite the whole thing. Somebody's just got to yell. I don't know what their call is, but you know, something like hot left or blitz left or free left, something to let somebody's got to yell that 
either right before the snap or even after the snap when they see him coming. Somebody's got to yell that so Mac knows he has somebody coming on the backside and then Mac can either roll to his right or throw the ball away or get the ball out quick or something. Mac doesn't know that blitz is coming and that's why he gets hit the way he does. So that was a that was a failure on multiple levels but to go back to the point we were making right that that's a I, I timed it out. It was 1.8 1.9 seconds from the snap to the quarterback. That's absurd. That's too fast. You only get there that fast if you're untouched. But when you saw him coming, when you when you're a quarterback, you're on the you TV get hit, copy. Right. When you're a quarterback and you get hit in under two seconds, you all of a sudden get real nervous in that pocket. Right. And the place you thought you had three seconds on, you might act like you have two. The place you thought you had two seconds on, you might act like you have one and a half. And you could tell Mac was a little jittery from that point. So I'm not worried about Mac Jones long-term yet. Again, wasn't the best game he played, but I don't put a lot of that on him. I mean, 21 to 30, considering the circumstances, like I, whatever you, you value completion percentage yeah. is not. The pick two, I question, you know, what the attacking your best, their best player on the outside there. And I know Devontae Parker's a 50-50 guy. That's, you know, he threw it to a spot. You got to hope that, you know, like you said, part. Parker's got to fight for that ball a little bit more. I think maybe midseason, that's a flag, right? You can play that game all you want. But the only issue I had there was, you know, why why to Parker in that spot? Like I said, I know you want to trust one of your best guys on the no, outside. I mean, but attack their best point, player, you know? At a certain point, you have to throw him Both a 50-50. I mean, he's here to catch 50-50. So, so there's a couple things on that. Um I, I think you, you need to throw him 50-50 balls. I don't care that it's on a good re- corner. He's a good receiver, right? He could, And I know he got held. I think he could have made more of a play to go up and fight for that ball. It looked a little bit like Nelson. Or at least, in the playoff game in I don't want to say year. fake it or, or, you know, but in, at least initiate contact a little more to get yourself a flag, Just, right? Because there was a lot of grabbing. It. He yeah. ran through it. He had to turn the head and come back to it. The other thing I'd say um, in regards to that play, I wonder if that was a case of, we gave up a top 100 pick to get this guy. He's supposed to be a premier receiver. It's early in the game against his former team. I wonder if they told Mac throw that, if that yeah. was a one read play. Cause John o. Smith's open there and a, a quarterback like Mac, when he doesn't go through his reads, like that's uncharacteristic for him. So I don't know why he would have locked in on that play other than maybe getting instruction from somebody else. Right. Yeah, no, I know. I know. And like I said, I, kind of wrap that like that's a that's a good defense they always do they got a good front we talked about it last week like you know if, if you're having these issues versus um you know the the lions or you know some of these bottom tier teams like then it's an issue but that's a that's a good team like i don't want to as bad as it was on sunday at times like you kind of give the dolphins some sort of credit defensively they got playmakers they've always had a oh, good they front. play they well secondary. what no, they did play. The, the, the yeah. Dolphins defense played well in that game. You, like I said, like on the strip sack, that's just a really good play by that safety to time out that, that you know, movement pre-snap. At a certain point, you you do tip your hat on some of it. You have to. You have to. And, and I do want to get into, um, you know, a little bit as to the Bourne situation. I don't know if you want to talk anything else along, along the game, or we can kind of jump all over the place. I don't really care. There's obviously a ton to cover from the last time we talked. Um, I guess I'll leave it up to you, but I, I think it's an interesting situation going on, right? I mean, 
what's the problem here? I, you know, I don't understand. Is it, does it take a rocking scientist to, to figure out that, you know, your offense lacks juice and a, and a chain mover, right? I think they have a good enough skill group to make things work, but it almost seems like everything has to be so perfect for it to go well. I think Bourne's a guy who saw last year, obviously built a rapport with Mac Jones, somebody who is really good after the catch, somebody you can scheme up, somebody you can play all over the formation. And this is going back now months of, of like, what is going on here? Yeah, I mean, it It feels like, and based on all the reports out there today, he was late for a meeting uh, about a month ago, and Matt Patricia didn't like that, and they're still punishing for him. There's another report, too, that they thought he was the fourth wide receiver out of camp. Now, there may be some semantics going on there because they may be factoring in, like, hey, he's our fourth best guy because we're going va- to add, you know, we're going to impact his value, the fact he missed the meeting. And that drops him on our chart, and now he's the fourth best receiver. So, but I, the, the crazy, like, that's what's scary to me. If he's benched for disciplinary things, even though Bill said it wasn't, if he's benched for disciplinary reasons, uh, that's not like he shouldn't have been benched. He should be playing. He's their best receiver, but it's not the time and place either. It, that's but, my but issue. like, at least, at least in that case, it's like, all right, you got it over with, right? At least if they bench it for disciplinary reasons, it tells us they still think he's a good player. What scares me is if they really think he's the fourth best receiver for whatever reason, if they really have him as the fourth receiver on the depth chart, that's alarming for a number of reasons. One, he's not, he's just not, he's there. I don't want to say he's the most talented because I think the beauty of, and I'll get it in a second, the beauty of their group, right. Is they're all good at different things, but he is the most versatile. He is the most explosive. The other thing is, even if they think he is fourth, which, which again, I wouldn't agree with, but even if they think he is fourth, I think the beauty of this receiver group, people look at it and say they don't have a real number one. There is a way to use that as a strength. It's Ewing theory. They don't have a real number one, but the gap between one and four is very minimal. And all four guys give you different things. So you can really throw a lot of different looks at a defense by playing with different matchups and different concepts within those matchups, right? The same route combination. If you, if you want to like put two routes together, right? Whatever combination, pick one in your head, that combination with Devonte Parker and Nelson Aguilar has to be defended very differently than the same combination from the same spot on the field with Kendrick Bourne and um, Jacoby Myers. Right. But the only way that's going to work is if all four play, they should really be rotating all four guys almost equally. So if they think Bourne is the fourth wide receiver, fine. I don't agree, but if they think that, but the fourth wide receiver in this offense, and by the way, even if they think, I I don't know, Aguilar is the fourth, the gap in usage between the first and the fourth receiver should not be, it was actually 99%. I believe that, that Parker played all 100 snaps, I think. If not, he played, yeah. Uh, Parker played all 100 snaps. And we're not asking Bourne and, to play. I didn't right, think he Bourne played 100 played four, last year. Right. And Bourne only played four, 4% of the snaps. The gap between those two should not be 96. So hopefully, look, the meeting thing's stupid. And, and it might have cost them a game. I don't think that it did cost them a game. It might have cost them a game. But if Bourne comes out and, and has like a 50, 60% usage rate this week, fine. Whatever. It was annoying. We're over it. I this can't become a trend though. It can't become. But a I trend. think that's the problem here because you saw Tommy Curran's report, right? That and, and I think he's right in the fact that Belichick wants to give him 
all the power in the world to make those personnel decisions and have him run the offense as much as he can and, and at least be hands off until, holy shit, you know, excuse my, you know, but this is getting really out of hand. I need to step in, right? So he's going to give Matt Patricia all the power in the world to do this. Is this Patricia now, like, again, you know, abusing his power in a sense? And like you said, I, I don't, we're not down there. We don't, we're not in the building. We're not in the locker room. So God only knows, but just from, following the team and being around him both virtually and in person like he's a high energy guy somebody that all his teammates love a guy the fans love somebody that like I said brings juice a game day type of player plays with a ton of energy those are guys you want on the field you know and I'm not asking for a hundred percent of the snaps I don't think that's his usage rate usage rate but I'd be interested to see where he is where he was last year if it's probably in the 65 70 range like at the lowest that's fine, man. I mean, like th- this so, is a versatile guy, somebody that can help you. I'll, I'll pull it up. His usage rate from last year is a little weird because there were a couple games at the beginning of the year where he was active and he didn't play a ton. And then there was that game at the end of the year where he had COVID, but he didn't play. Um, I'm just trying to find it. His overall usage rate last year was 52%, but I want to find it by game. If you'll just allow me to stall here for a second, because I think this is a good point. Uh, here it is. Okay. So, Bourne didn't really be – he didn't play a ton the first two weeks. Played about 30 snaps, was targeted three times in each of those games. And it, look, he even admitted, like, it was a bit of a feeling-out process for him learning the offense. He wasn't ready, and that's okay. He wasn't ready. The stat I keep going back to with Kendrick Bourne, and I'm actually, now we, I've said it before on the show, we're going to add uh, playtime to it. From week three to week 12, it's a 10-game stretch, Kendrick Bourne's on, on a – 17 game pace, like a full season pace for what he was for 10 weeks last year, 66 catches, 1,013 yards, 18 yards per catch. That's a borderline number one receiver during that span. His usage rate was, Oh, it's not going to give me the aggregate. Um, so I mean, just you don't going get game the, by game if here. You don't get Devonte Parker. Right. And I think their receiver. Right. Well, just hang on, hang on real quick here. Go ahead. Sorry. Born, Born's usage rate during those games. 76 is all percent. 76, 61, 50, 46, 54, 30. But I think that was a game that was like a blowout and they sat a bunch of people. The 30 game was, oh no, that was the Chargers game. They ran the ball a ton in that game. But then 53, 43, 45, 55. And then he gets COVID before the Bills game. And he had a couple decent games after that. And his usage was still up in the high 50s, low 60s. He should probably be in the mid 60s this year. Like that's to me where he should be. And you see, when you give him about sixty percent snaps, he can be the numbers he can put up are borderline number one. And like I said, if you don't get Devonte Parker, you know, and I think their receivers are pretty unique, and they can all do different things, and they're all kind of have a role. Like you're going into the off season in this season with Kendrick Bourne's probably your number one, right? I know Myers will be the most targeted, but I think he's limited, right? He's not a yak guy. He's a chain mover, somebody that's really good over the middle of the field. I think where Bourne comes into play is you can line him up all over. And you saw it. You come in. You That was your biggest play of the day, 41 yards. And it, it's like this. Those two have a yeah. rapport. Um and he's right off the field after I, I don't or, you know, didn't didn't get targeted. Would he play four snaps? I don't know if he played two after that. And we never saw him again. But you couldn't move the ball aside from the first first drive. You let, you know, that one play third down. It felt like we talked about it last week. Don't get behind the chains. They were like that all day, all day. It's just a slop fest. Like I said, every time they go down there and they repeatedly wouldn't put him in. So put the ego aside. 
Matt, and and get your good players on the field. Play the guys that should play. I, you know, I'm not a coach, but I think anybody that watches the Patriots, follows a team, covers a team, he's one of your better players and somebody that can bring some juice to that offense. So um, let, let's let's get going on that. I, I think the other thing to remember too is then you're playing other guys out of position. Like the the play Aguilar ran the last offensive play, the slant, the I think it was a dig with the fumble. That's Kendrick Bourne's route. Like last year, that throw, well, sometimes it's Jacoby Myers, but it, it was Myers or Bourne. Aguilar's not a guy that's used to having the ball in his hands in the middle of the field. Like that's just not how he plays. That Bourne in that spot is better equipped to handle that situation. So it, there's a trickle down effect as well. It, it makes the other Bourne not being on the field makes the and the, the same could be true if you really take any of the guys out of the lineup, but it, it makes the other receivers worse when you take Kendrick Bourne off the field. Again, I, I don't think he needs 100% usage rate. I no. really don't. Like, I think Not that type of all player. Be at about, they should all be, I don't know if this math works, but they should all be at about 70, 75%. Uh, that's, it, Bourne should be there. So, uh, I, I guess that's our, our spiel on that. I think, like you said, go into this week, figure out a role for himself. You know, you'd hope Mac has some sort of, you know, leeway now and some power in that room to be like, Hey, you know, this is my guy, like throwing him. We gotta, we gotta find a way to get him more involved. And they take that, but you know, we're not going to know till Sunday. I think if you go into this game and you see him play, you know, 10, 12 snaps, it's like, okay, what are we doing here? Like free this guy. Like if you're not going to play him, someone will like someone would take Kendrick Bourne. We heard about the reports. They were getting calls all training camp before the Thornton injury. Uh, and then you have to wonder when he does come back, Thornton comes back, are they going to try to utilize him more? Does that push him down the depth chart? So uh, put it this way, Kendrick Bourne should be getting the same snaps or, or the same amount of snaps Nelson Aguilar is. And that's no disrespect. Like you said, that diggy fumbles, that's Kendrick Bourne's bread and butter. That's his route. So right. uh, you got to find a way to get him on the field more consistently because you, you have nobody on the field really that can make a play with the ball in their hands after after the catch. So um, anything else on this game? I know you touched we, kind of all over the place. It's the first time we've talked, me and you, about it. So uh, there certainly could be some things we missed, you missed, that you might want to bring up. Uh, but I'm cool burying the hatchet and looking forward to next week. Um, one other thing. I, I mentioned this on my podcast on 98.5 The Sports. So this is a really random thing, but it's just something I noticed during the game. And, you know, we're going to have to learn whether you like Matt Patricia's the play caller or not. I think I know how most people feel. He's going to be the play caller. And we have no idea what his offensive philosophy is. You can assume it's going to be kind of similar to Bill Belichick's, but... And they're they're not making a change midseason. Like, it's too late. So this is what you got. It would have to get really ugly for them to do that. I... So, okay. So what are, what are his tendencies? What are his beliefs? Where does he differ from Belichick? Small, really small sample size. So I don't want to call this a trend yet. Because it's not. But they had two... There were two fourth downs... Or, or two of the fourth downs they went for it. There was the one to Henry, which I was, I mean, what are you doing? Oh, that actually, this is something else I want to talk about before I get into the dumb little trend thing. Uh, the fourth and seven, that's coming out of a timeout. They blew it. The fourth and whatever it was to Hunter Henry, fourth and four to Hunter Henry. Yeah. Coming out of a timeout. And that was a bad timeout. Before they took that timeout, they did not necessarily need points on that drive. They could have, gone for that fourth down, not gotten it, and still potentially been in the game. It wouldn't have helped. But once they took that timeout, that play became must convert. You cannot, and this is, I mean, we've been saying this for years, for, for the last two years, that, 
oh, well, this is so uncharacteristic of the Patriots, so they'll definitely fix it. It's characteristic now. That was poor situational football. You can't come out of the timeout and just have nothing like that. And they throw were, a heave in triple coverage. <laughs> they, on the, and on I know the he defensive had nothing, fourth but... down at the end of the half, on the defensive fourth down at the end of the half, they were base personnel against an obvious passing situation, one safety deep when they're probably going for the end zone. And then, yeah, you come out in some weird sort of hitch, go Hunter Henry and triple coverage. Miami backed off. They gave you the first down there. They were playing you like you should have played them at the end of the first half. So, I mean, that's poor situational football. You can't come out of timeouts poorly like that. You just can't do it on the Henry play. And there's another fourth down I want to reference to. It was another fourth and short. It was a little earlier in the game. It was a draw play to Montgomery, right? Not that. No, not that. They ended up converting uh, because of a penalty. Mack yeah, threw the Parker. ball down the field and ends on a Parker. Right. Yep. Those two fourth and shorts, they threw the ball deep. And they seemed like design deep throws, not well, like I thought Mack the one didn't to have Parker. any underneath options. I thought the one to Parker, that it was a free play because you saw the flag. So I'm seeing it. I'm like, oh, you know. No, but a, it wasn't a, a free play at that. It wasn't, it, no. So is this like they got very conservative on third down, right? The, the, the third and three run up the middle. And I forget what they did before the Parker play, but it was something similar. They were very conservative on third down and then like very aggressive on fourth down. It was almost like switched. The conventional thinking is if you know it's four down territory, you maybe take a shot on third and short, right? Catch him sleeping. Is this Matt Patricia being like, well, I know what I'd be looking for as a defensive coordinator, so I'm going to do the opposite. Is this a philosophy of his that they're going to take these shots on fourth down? It's just going to be something interesting to watch for me. Uh, but yeah, no, the one other big take that we never got to uh, is they got to be better out of the timeouts. They have to be better after the timeouts. And look, yes, the Dolphins had timeouts too on those same plays. It is a coach coaching his first career and game. I, I believe the timeout, they came out of a timeout and hit Waddle right before the half. So you can yes, even no, that was say one on of the defense. plays I'm, I'm referencing. Oh, okay. I'm, I thought you were saying spe- yeah. specifically offense. You can defense. No, both, both that sides can't of the ball. Happen. On both sides of the ball, they had situated, again, the, the play at the end of the half to Waddle and then the fourth down incompletion to Hunter Henry. We're both out of timeouts, and they looked lost on both of those plays. You just you can't have that. Not uh, sloppy. Like I said last week, don't get in a slop fest. This is what happens when every time you're down there, you're you, you, you predicted it to a T. You've seen it for ten years now. They're in the game. They come out flat. They're down seven or ten at half. They make a couple stops on defense. They're they're one or two plays away from converting and getting back in the game, and they just they they can't get that extra play. It happens every time down there. Obviously, right. when you score only seven points, it's magnified more, and, and you you know the, the loss stings a little bit. But there's no question for as bad as they played on offense, they had chances to win that game. I, I'm sorry if you don't think otherwise, you're crazy. They held them to 13 points. Their defense in the second half was awesome. Would they hold them to three points? Uh, they got timely stops. Uh, they, they brought pressure. They were much better in coverage in the second half. And they just, like I said, one or two plays and, away every single drive. It's just, it's mind boggling. It's frustrating as watching, you know, covering the team as a fan, whoever you are, yeah. I know it's week one, but that, that can't happen. It's a divisional opponent. I know it's a new head coach. This is what happens every year. And by the way, a uh, good point here in the comment, whoever pointed this out, the Carl Davis offsides. Yep. That killed was you. also, was also after a timeout. Was it really? Was also after I think that was a Miami timeout, I believe. It wasn't one of theirs. It's still a no, timeout. that was one of theirs. That was one of theirs. Yep. That's the state. You can't, and he was right on the ball. I mean, again, poor 
situational football. That's a good, uh, whoever that was, Chris pointed that out. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. That was a good point. So I, I think it's time to, to bury the hatchet for this game, move on. It, it's we, They started the same situation last year. I think there was a little more buzz to it because Mac looked good. It was his first game. It's completely different this year. I understand. Um, but any last takeaways? Obviously, we'll kind of use these shows on Tuesday to break down the game from Sunday, give our thoughts, and then you know give a little sneak peek into Thursday's show, which will obviously preview. Uh, we're on to Pittsburgh. That's our, our motto now. Uh, but anything last takeaways before I, I know Pittsburgh's without TJ Watt, Najee Harris is kind of questionable, the foot injury. So that's, that's good for them. I, I thought they looked much better, especially on defense. Uh, you're probably going to see a lot of what you saw Sunday. So they got to get this thing figured out pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that could be an interesting game with, with all those injuries. I don't think Pittsburgh's very good. I was very impressed with what they were able to do to the Bengals. Just the Bengals kept throwing at Minka Fitzpatrick. Make it, I was going to say, he's a stud, man. Like, I, I single-handedly say, won them know, that game. First thing first thing you say in the meeting is, hey, let's throw at Minka Fitzpatrick less than the last guys did. And, <laughs> um, that's a pretty if, good offense, pretty good coach, pretty good quarterback, in my opinion. Yeah, and he owned so let's, let, how about don't bomb target Minka Fitzpatrick and then and then build the rest of it from there. That's that's my early take on the, the Steelers. It's going to be interesting, though, because – He's not the Steelers defensive coordinator, but he has a big role in the Steelers defense. Flores, yep. Who worked for and took over for in New England, Matt Patricia. Yes. So Matt Patricia is calling plays against the guy who took over for him as the defensive coordinator. And then won a Super Bowl here. (laughs) And then went to Miami and owned owned you for three years. It's going to be very fascinating. At least I think it will be. Yeah. But we'll we'll talk more about that on Thursday. For sure. So – we're on to Pittsburgh. Uh, I think there's a lot of negative, but I think there's still some positives you can take away from that game. Uh, I like to say Wednesday, you kind of just close the book and move on. I think that's a good good point. Hopefully, you know, I think the other thing too is do these players seem engaged? You can have an argument either way. I guess that's just yet to be seen. That's something you'll have to monitor over the, over the next few weeks and, and over the course of the season. But um, there's definitely a lot more question marks than answers for the Patriots right now, especially on offense. So uh, here's them turning around. I think this is an interesting matchup, another measuring stick for them inside the AFC. I think Pittsburgh, like Miami, is another team that you'll be battling with down the stretch, kind of that fringe playoff team. Um, these are ones you're going to want to have back. That one Sunday stings. That's a, that's a winnable game, I thought, for as bad as they played. So Uh, I'm Ryan Spagnoli. That is Alex Barth. We will see you all on Thursday to preview the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll get more in-depth of that game, some key matchups similar to we did last Thursday. 